Sounds good. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to another episode of the Excellence Cartel. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Lift, Run, Bang, Paul Carter joining us today. And we're going to be talking about all things training. I think this one's going to be absolutely fun. But first, Sue, are you going to ask Paul in-depth questions about how to improve your hamstrings going into the 2022 season <laughs> to dominate, to get redemption against Austin Stout? Honestly, I, I will. Uh, I would love to ask uh, questions about hamstring training, glute training, uh, which are my weaknesses. And also just like the, the debate versus like, you know, um, you know, hit style training versus like volume, uh, you know, like dog crap style, all that kind of stuff. I'd love to I personally think you got a great ass though. I'll just be honest. Like, no, I mean, it's, it's exquisite. Flat, like, man. I think it's flat. I mean, I don't know. Like, <laughs> you know, like maybe it's my body dysmorphia or something, but you know, I want that like bubble butt, like, like Olympic lifter style ass that you can like see through a nice pair of jeans. Oh you know? yeah. I know what you're talking about. I'm not I want that, you know, but um, do, what, did you want me to get into my seven days? Yeah. Or? Yeah. I just went sidetracked for a second. Your ass fascinated me in captain. <laughs> Sorry, you, you touch it in Tennessee if you want for a fee. Oh, <laughs> I'm gonna take a photo next to it and just be like, "Look at charge you five bucks." Listen, oh. I, I need to charge you a fee because I got an, I got a call from my CPA today. All right, and it was it was pretty devastating news. Dude, of, it can't be as bad <laughs> as mine, bro. The amount of taxes that I have to pay, uh, you know, in a couple of weeks is absolutely devastating. However, however. Elon Musk is going to be on Saturday Night Live this weekend, and I am heavily invested in Dogecoin and a whole bunch of other coins on various platforms, and I know that shit is going to the fucking moon, and it's going to pay for my taxes. So my message to people listening is like, better get on Dogecoin. That shit's going up this weekend. You'll see. I'll make. I'll pay all my taxes using coins all right ladies and gentlemen we have a bet and that bet says that sue is going to be able to pay his taxes with dog coin all right i'm going to say it's a failure but um we'll go with it i, I believe the rest it. of the money is going towards a portion 911 so so you put 10 g's in yeah total yeah 10k okay we'll see uh, well good yeah. for you yeah, i mean it's just simply rolling the dice basically yeah i mean if i lose it i lose it you know here's the thing with with crypto and i think you told me this before Whatever you put in, you got to be okay with losing completely. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I lost big back in 2018, and now I'm just like, fuck that shit. I know you did. <laughs> I was up, well, I was up 100, you know, and then, then I didn't sell out. Yeah. 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 Terrible moves, ladies and gentlemen. The life and sin of Jeff and Jason. Well, Stop. what I should have done was sold out and then put it in Bitcoin and just, just got away from the whole market, and I'd be fucking sitting pretty as hell right now, but should have, would have, could have. Yep. yep. All right. Well, Gramps, how's your last seven days since you're giving us bitter memories from uh, I mean, I'm doing all right, but dude, I hit a fucking deer going 55 miles per hour in my Mercedes. That was some fucking bullshit. Oh my God. So that's still in the shop. Um, driving the Porsche and I hate doing that in the rain and shit. So that's pissing me <laughs> off. So like, and then I got my tax liability. We'd already prepaid $81,000 and I owe a hundred and she owes a hundred. Like I, I mean, I'm sick, dude. Like I, I, it's sitting in my drawer. Are these like fucking vouchers? I got to like, fill out. I can't even bring myself to do it, dude. Like, I mean, I got to by the 15th, but I just keep putting it off. Like, so, I mean, I'm doing okay, but like this week's been a little bit of a kick in the ass. I, mean, I ain't going to lie. So when you're staying in my house in a few weeks, do you want me to like cuddle with you like extra hard just to ease this burden that you're about I to mean, go through? 
Ari's gonna be there with me, so I really don't need it. But I mean, extra cuddles is always cool, I guess. Uh, I'll lay in your lap. I'll be good. Um, but you know, everything like that. Like I've been signing up tons of functional cases. Um, I had two new ones come today. I had three sign up since the weekend. So this is good. Um, life's pretty good. Just uh, adulting is just a pain in the ass. You know, like my phone went out last week. Then my vape went out. Then my <laughs> air conditioner, fucking the the. Uh, the coil or some bullshit started making this terrible noise. Luckily it's under warranty still. It's just, it's just adulting bullshit. Do you know what I mean? It's just shit's annoying. But um, other than that, yeah, it's great. All right. I'm going to send you a get well card here soon. Yeah, All right. I'd appreciate it. <laughs> Nick, how's your last seven days been, man? It's been good, man. Um, so recall two weeks ago when I said I was going to be going to that hundred thousand uh, dollar wedding. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely was very elegant. Um, flowers for days um everything was really cool uh, except that everyone who drank the um the purple drink puked so everyone was saying oh it's probably the alcohol but my wife and i think it was food poisoning from the disgusting um orange peel the guy was putting in every single drink so Ugh. it ended up so that was the first time my wife and i drank alcohol all year and we got sick so, oh, shit. and, and so did a whole bunch of other people too. So I'm like, damn, that's what I, that's what I get for that. Yeah. I have um, to tell you, that's why you microdose and smoke weed instead. Right. Right. <laughs> Haven't gotten there yet. Haven't gotten there yet, but I'm just messing um, I know I got a, um, you know, since then too, I have gained one more online client and then uh, two more in-person clients too. So things oh, are man. starting to pick Good up work. as well, which is, which is nice. I like that a lot. Absolutely. Well, I actually dropped acid <clears throat> and went on a hike Sunday after finding out on Thursday I had to have a, a I'll have yeah. to have hip surgery and have to have a complete hip. I was like, yeah, we're all getting shit. I'm like, I don't dog. give a fuck. I'm like, I'm going to go for a hike. So I took, drew up some acid, whacked it, smoked a fucking bowl and then went, all right. Was it a microdose or a full trip? I did a double microdose. So I was at 25 micrograms. Ah, uh, so you weren't like tripping or anything. You just nah, but weird. dude, it was so, like I got like that picture I sent you. I got yeah, that was sweet. Fucking caterpillars like climbing and shit, and I'm like all like zoned <laughs> in. Like I'm like in the ground with like my camera, and people are like <laughs> looking at me like, "What the fuck's this guy doing?" And I was like, "It's cool." I'm like underneath the water, like dripping. In I'm it. just appreciating nature. Yeah, I'm appreciating nature real intimately. But it was super cool. First time I've done it a hike as an adult, and uh, I really enjoyed the experience. So I'm gonna do it again. Um, but. That's pretty much been my last seven days onboarding clients and cool shit like that. It's been neat. I think every the industry's booming um, as of late. So everyone's kind of jumping in on it while they can. But before I get into you, Paul, and how your last seven days been, guys, I got to make a couple of announcements real quick. So as you guys know, we have the Physique Education Collective coming up May 21st, May 22nd here in Nashville, Tennessee at Iron House Strength and Conditioning. Um, we will be having Sonia and Chanel presenting on Friday at 4 p.m. and 5 p.m. And then next Saturday morning on the 22nd, I'll be kicking it off at 8 a.m. And we'll go all the way through the day. It'll be a great time. We still have a few tickets left. But guys, I just yesterday secured with Sal Frisella for us to have the first ever Excellence Cartel business collective, I guess is what we'll call it, at first form on August 27th and 28th. This all the proceeds will go to benefit the 30 for kids charity that first form and Sal and them do tickets will be 300 and we will have a high ticket item with dinner with Sal and the coaching panel. The coaching panel will feature Nick Ross from NCI presenting on sales and neuro linguistic programming. 
You will have Laura Conlin presenting on leadership in the fitness industry. You're going to have Jamie Filer presenting on systemization, including using triggers like Pipeline Pro and programming like that. You're going to have the three J's present on something that's going to be really cool that we're going to bring to you guys that we're going to kind of keep under wraps till we do it. And then we have Sal presenting on leadership, on creating a culture, and then a 90-minute Q&A with the panel, including some special guests, perhaps. If you guys are interested, tickets will go on sale immediately after the Physique Education Collective passes, so that way we can know how to track the money accordingly. We have only 50 seats for this and only 10 for the VIP dinner on Friday night. It's going to go to a great cause. We hope you guys enjoy it, but this one's going to be engineered strictly to coaches who are looking to build their business and scale it with elite and advanced knowledge from people who've actually built real businesses. So it should be really cool. Now, Paul, I got all that out of the way, buddy. You're looking good. You're looking handsome. It looked like Florida treated you well, the right amount of sun on your face, et cetera. How's your last seven days been? Uh, I really, I can't complain. I don't, I don't want to hop on here and start gassing my life up after uh after guys deers and throwing up at weddings and stuff <laughs> i uh i mean i feel i feel pretty good yeah i feel pretty good i'm, I'm tan i spent a lot of time at the beach i have a, a beautiful girlfriend i just bought a x5m or bmw today and nice. uh last month i got my dream car which is the audi rs7 so i i really i don't have any complaints i haven't i guess i'll have to go out and do something um detrimental to myself today to even <laughs> the last seven days out with you guys, but, uh, yeah, I can't, I really can't complain. And, uh, and if I could, I probably wouldn't, um, even, I think it was two weeks ago, my main Instagram account, um, got the, got blasted by Instagram and, um, you know, all you can do in those moments is figure out what you can control, what you have control over and, um, and, you know, step, you know, into the, whatever it is that you need to do. So I created a new Instagram account, got back to creating content, working on my business, I mean, that's the, that's the only thing you can do. My girlfriend told me at the time, she's like, I'd be devastated. I'm like, why though? I'm like, I can't do anything about it. I can only do what I can do and, and focus on the, the outcomes of things I can control. And that's what I've done and life's still good. Do you practice stoicism or, read, or have you read about that? You know, what's crazy is um, John Meadows sent me, um, he sent me a link a couple of months ago and he said that, he sent me this link. He said, you are the most modern day, like true stoic He's like the, that I've ever known. He goes, because you literally don't give a, a shit what anybody else thinks about you or says about you uh, or anything like that. And um, I actually do. He John sends me uh, stoicism stuff like all the time and I read it. I, I don't go search it out on my own, but I actually do watch a lot of the videos and stuff. And it's I think it's a pretty cool um, ideological thing to ascribe to in a multitude of ways, because especially coming back to the whole people will get the life sucked right out of them if they're far too worried about the opinions of everybody else around them, and especially in the culture we live in now, where if you're gonna put yourself out there in terms of social media, um, if you haven't pissed off half a dozen people by about noon each day, then you're probably not on, on top of your game. So <laughs> a slow day for me, uh, apparently. So, uh, I, but it's not because legitimately, like I wake up and I, I get that, I do get that a lot, but I, I really don't care. Um, the friends that I have in my life know I'm, and, uh, I love them very much. I'm very dedicated to my friends, very dedicated to my family. Um, but I just don't give a shit what, if people like how I respond or how I interact with them or whatever. And I help so many people out during the day. That's totally not a bragging thing. I spend probably, uh, 14 to 16 hours of my day helping people, uh, with various questions and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But there's this overall sense of entitlement. And I don't know if you guys have kind of picked up on that the last couple of years 
really like the last year, especially, but this overwhelming sense of entitlement for people that either come to your social media and ask you questions or want things from you or whatever, that if you don't respond in a manner they feel is timely, they will come back at you or tell you that you're an asshole for either for not doing so, for not responding the way they wanted you to, um, or with the words that they wanted to hear. So I've started to learn how to set really strong boundaries uh, with that. And I'm like, if you don't like me, don't follow me or just unfollow or whatever. So uh, I don't even know how I got off on the tangent. That's where my head went. <laughs> no, dude, there's actually a really good book by Ryan Holiday. I actually post it every morning because it's my daily devotional, but it's called The Deli uh, Daily Stoic. And it has like a stoicism lesson for every day. And, you know, you actually, John is right. A lot of what you write is very stoic in nature. It's very forward. It's very motion, de motionless and detached. And I appreciate that kind of writing because I understand like the solidarity it takes with yourself to get that out of yourself, to express it is very, very deep. So uh, that was pretty One cool. The things that I've got now, that stuff that he sent me that I naturally gravitated to very in a, in a, in a very authentic kind of interpersonal kind of way is that I reserve a deep sense of love, um, sacrifice, and all of those things for the people that I do have in my circle that I consider my friends, that family. Um, I like, uh, I'll go to the ends of the earth for the people that I keep close to me. But if you're not within the circle, I don't really give a fuck. So like, so when people, they kind of have this attitude of that I should like be this particular way because it's it's kind of a warped projection on their part that I owe them something that I owe them a response or that I owe them a specific attitude but I don't I don't owe you anything and you guys don't owe me anything either I feel the same way with other people I'm like you don't owe me shit like I don't pay your bills so that's just kind of how that's one of my things I go back to is like when somebody gets upset about how the world views them like how many of those people actually wake up every day and carry the burdens that you have to carry each day and pay the bills that you have um, to pay in your life or you know, are gonna how many of those people are gonna sit beside you in a in the hospital? You know, if you're if you're happen to be in that particular situation, that's just kind of my attitude each day as I go through life. So the people that I love and cherish, I keep very close to me and do anything in the world for them. Everybody outside of that, I don't really care. Yep, the people five people closest to you show me you, and I'll show you them. Is what they say. Absolutely. Um, so just so you know, Nick down there on the bottom of this, at least my screen, he is like a big fan girl for you. Like has your training. Literally just kept messaging me. It was like, you got to get Paul. I got to get Paul. So I reached out. I was like, hey, Paul. So I, I don't ever consider I do. I don't have fans. I just have fellow brothers and sisters who bang weights like I do and, and have a, a love for the same topic that I do. I the, the whole notion that I have fans makes me super uncomfortable. So uh, <laughs> my, my brother and Iron Man, that's just how I see those things. <laughs> All right, Nick, knock it off. You now know how to act. All right. So this conversation yeah. could go real smooth <laughs> without being weird. So you are weird. in the four, like, I mean, I followed you for a long time. I remember you from T Nation, a lot of stuff shared on the boards, like muscular development, pro-am, all that stuff back in the day. Um, and you have always kind of like carved out a little niche for kind of being out there in the training space and like, you know, real forward thinking, always talking about hypertrophy and just different programs. I think you might have any gotten into what with Lyle McDonald um, along the way and like others. Um, He's gotten into it with Lyle along the way. Too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, we thought it'd be really cool today to go because you're the guy, you know, that most people associate training with on social media to talk about different body parts and what you thought were the best exercises and the worst exercises and kind of just debate down the line because, you know, I think that's the one thing that you see a lot of misinformation about. Like we talked about pre-air glute exercises, which we'll get into at the end, but you have that in everything. And I would like to begin with shoulders. 
what are some of the best exercises that you think for shoulders, like side, front, rear? And then let's kind of get into the ones that you think everyone fucks up on and just doesn't understand correctly and, you know, hinders them. For shoulders, I think the, the most prominent um, thing that comes up is usually that people consistently default to something like a barbell overhead press or a Smith machine overhead press as a way to build shoulders. And the better way to look at something like that is that an overhead press, especially with a barbell, is more of what I consider uh, an integrated movement. And that is you're training a lot of different musculature that is involved in pressing uh, and you're training some scapula function but you're not actually putting any of the, the deltoid heads in a very specific position to overload the tissue that's associated with that particular deltoid head. So um, that's a post I've made actually quite a few times is like, if you want to train, for example, uh, the anterior delt in a press, what you want to do is make sure that it gets maximally lengthened. Um, and then that you're kind of moving in an arcing motion and when you're having shoulder flexion. So if you were kind of looking at it from the side, the arcing motion is back like this because you want to you want to shorten, right? You want to bring that origin insertion closer together to one another. So I think that it comes up a lot. Um, and I've run into um, the guys that I run into a lot of problems with are those uh, dickheads from Mind Pump. You guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Um, because they espouse a lot of what I consider to be really poor um, modalities when it comes to hypertrophy. And, and it, it kind of feeds into that, what I consider that trogelite syndrome of just pick up a heavy barbell and you'll grow a bunch of fucking muscle that way. <laughs> and when you spend a lot of time really studying functional anatomy and biomechanics and looking at these kind of things, what you come to realize is, is that it is more nuanced than just picking up a fucking heavy barbell and moving it around in space. Um, if you want to, number one, not injure yourself, if you want to mechanically load the tissue appropriately, uh, if you want to be really efficient in your training and things like that. So when you look at a barbell overhead press, what we're really training is the barbell overhead press. That's what we're training. So if you are a strength athlete, it's a great movement, right? For like strong man, or, you know, even when I was competing in powerlifting and what's crazy is so that nobody thinks I have this bias is that I had an almost uh, 400 pound uh, press behind the neck by the time that I retired from powerlifting. You guys can go look up. I did a double with 365 in a full range press behind the neck. Uh, it's out on YouTube. I was absolutely, I think I was like 290 pounds at the time, but my overhead press was really strong. And at the same time, um, I'm very open to, okay, since I'm not doing that anymore, what are the best ways to do this? So if you're looking at the interior delt, um, a front raise done properly to shorten the, um, the anterior delt, and then but a, an anterior delt press, which is actually, it looks like to a lot of people, an incline press, but it gets the front delt in a very lengthened position, and then you press in this arc this way. Uh, to really load that anterior delt in that lengthened position. Um, for the middle delts, the Y raise uh, is one of my favorite because it probably gets the middle delt about as short as you can. You could get a little more nuanced in there and say um, this particular degree of, um, let's say abduction or adduction, depending on your structure, could get a little shorter, but the Y raise is a pretty damn good movement in terms of training your, your middle deltoid. And I really like uh, pretty much all cable work at this point for training my delts and uh, especially for uh, side lateral stuff because I can alter the uh, resistance profile really well depending on cable height and things like that. So that's really how I approach my deltoid uh, training. Um, I don't, I, I still do an interior delt press and I rotate it through 
my training, but for the most part, um, I stick with a lot of Y raises and cable side laterals. Um, and as far as rear delts go, um, the best rear delt movement that you can have is always going to be some type of transverse shoulder extension. Um, and that's how you're going to get the rear delts the shortest. Um, it's not that using, you know, some type of rear delt fly is a terrible exercise, but the, when you look at the, in the origin on the scapula back there and the way it comes around and inserts onto the humerus, when you bring the arm in that abduction plane, if you think about that in your head, those fibers up there around the origin are going to shorten, but the ones down there around the insertion point are not going to get the same kind of shortening treatment as you would get through that transverse extension that you would have in the shoulder. So it's just, I prefer to, because I do have more of a, like my training, I want to be efficient and it's more based along the lines of, I want to use as few movements as possible to do, to load that tissue in the, in the, either the shortest or longest position. That's, I try to find the most efficient movements for doing that rather than using a whole bunch of multitude of movements in one training session uh, to do that. So if I was talking about deltoids, it's kind of the overall encompassing way I would look at training delts. I have a question for you. Do you put traps with delts or do you put traps with back? Because I'd like to talk about traps. Both, because okay. traps could never be too big. I don't, if you're a man, like I can't ever imagine <laughs> You say my fat is too fucking big, so I I think even uh, traps on a chick are, are sexy. So um, I actually do both. Um, I still do shrugs, even though I don't think shrugs are one of like the your best option for training. You're still just training right elevation of the scapula, and that's what the upper traps do. The overhead plate raise to this day is the absolute best because that's what that's what's going to get your traps in the shortest position as possible. As what they're doing is when you look at that upward rotation and elevation that happens in the scapula as you bring to that 180 degrees of shoulder flexion the traps fully shorten uh, in that position and that's why that's such a good movement to do so you can kind of smash some some delts and some traps there at the same time and that has been my uh, my favorite trap movement for a very long time uh, but i will throw that in there on a shoulder day but then sometimes on a trap day i'll do something like a, a kelso shrug which i still think is really good for mid traps and um, right, the Y rays will hit your lower traps too. So that just happens to fall on a shoulder day as well. So I guess it all depends on which division of the trap we're talking about. But for upper traps, when you say traps, upper traps, um, it usually happens on both. I just train it uh, with different variations. That makes sense. What is a, how, what's the frequency that you prescribe for shoulders? And is there a certain amount of volume that you would say for this, like the sweet spot? Um, you know, for each person, um, you know, there, there can be a huge variance there, but I've pretty consistently found, um, I've been on a, uh, a push pull leg split for a very long time. And it's really weird to me that some people consider that a non-bro split or some people depending on your structure consider a bro, a bro split. Yeah. I think anything that is not a full body routine can fall into bro split. That's the way I've just always viewed stuff. So I think there's full body splits and then there's just bro splits because, um, splitting it in half is still a, a bro split to me, depending on how you line that out. That's the way I do things. But I'll usually do chest, shoulders, and triceps. And then the next day I'll do back and biceps and then I'll take a day off. And then I'll do legs. And the leg day will either be a gluten ham dominant day or it'll be a quad dominant day. And then the day after that, I'll take a day off. And then the chest, shoulder, and tricep day is a similar thing. There will usually be something that's more dominant within the movement selections for that day. 
And then on a back and bicep day, it's the same thing. So one back and bicep day is going to be more lat dominant and one will be more upper back dominant. Oh, that makes sense. I've got to say, I really love that push-pull leg split because you can also add in a fourth day for any sort of weak body part that you might have. Yeah, absolutely. And use that as like a, like a polishing type of day. So you do four days. But I, I definitely agree with what you said about pressing movements not really being the best way to grow delts because I found myself when I lighten the weight really focused on um, a little bit more volume but more of that like pain that 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 burn in the delts when you're doing you know lightweight laterals you know 30 50 reps 100 reps like that that's what got my delts growing and they used to be a really weak body part um, and also incline presses I mean obviously for the chest but takes care of the uh, the anterior delt as well so I like I like those movements yeah and and the thing the other thing about that i want to add is that that one of the um the things that was commonly said and has even said by other experts is like well if you're if you're doing enough chest pressing you don't need to train the anterior deltoids and i don't necessarily agree with that because if you've ever gotten your anterior delts to grow you'll notice immediately a difference in how your how your shoulders look um so if you've just been relying on chest pressing and you haven't gotten done any proper anterior delt pressing and you start doing that, you'll absolutely notice a difference in how your deltoids start to look because that, well, especially once you get that, get all of the deltoids to really popping, uh, like if you have flat, more flat interior deltoids, you, you won't get that 3D-ish look um, that comes with a lot of bodybuilders. Um, so I still think it's important to train the interior delts in that length and position um, and even do some front rate, proper front raises in the, in the short position. But um, I still, I do think it is important to train them uh, aside from just relying on chest pressing and something. All right. Well, you actually intro that really well, Sue, talking about chest. Let's get into chest. What do you like mm -hmm. and what do you not, not like? And I, I want to almost ask what your take was on, was it that, what was Ryan's last name? The one who had that that awful pec injury recently? That Crowley. Crowley, yeah. Oh, we, yeah. yeah, we blew that out. Yeah, I, I yeah, I ended up talking about that and, you know, I made a post on it. If you absolutely, um, I think I've been, I've written articles about this and, and made a million posts about this and that a lot of people, um, they use that highly abducted humeral position when they're chest pressing. Um, and it doesn't lengthen your chest anymore. I don't, when people talk about, it, I feel that I don't give a fuck what sensation you're feeling in your chest. You can literally sit down if you understand like physics, you can draw out the fact that the chest, just like the lats, are it, they're made and their insertion point, everything are made to use the rib cage as leverage and to wrap around the rib cage to be lengthened. So when people talk about getting that, that really highly AB position with the arm out here, the only thing that happens is that you're mostly training the corcobrachialis and you're actually lengthening that pec tendon under a lot of torque and tension. So this one guy tried to make the claim that the only thing that really happened was, I think that Ryan Hatton, he hadn't done incline presses in a long time that heavy or whatever. There is something to be said for a preparatory work in a lift that, you know, you don't just go in and start going as heavy as you can on any lift. But if your fucking mechanics suck, you know, you're asking, you're going to be asking for an injury at some point down the line anyway. So if you're doing any sort of pressing, chest pressing, the way to both make sure that you're not passing on a, a lot of tension 
uh, the, the connective or, or soft tissue is that you're going to want to press out of a more adductive position where you're using the rib cage as leverage to wrap the, those pec fibers around the rib cage. And then the other thing is that what is the primary functional component of the pecs, right? It's horizontal humeral adduction. So if you want to bring the arm across the body, right? So as the pecs shorten, you want to allow that humerus, right, to respect the, those particular fiber mechanics to bring the arm there. So that's why like uh, a lot of pretty much all barbell presses have some specific limitations with them when it comes to chest training. And you're gonna be far better off consistently using uh, converging chest press machines where their hand, your hands come together um, as the pec shorten um, or a, a dumbbell, any type of dumbbell chest pressing. And I actually like dumbbell chest pressing with uh, added band tension. So that way, and you, when you just have dumbbells alone, you have that basically what I consider like that absolute degree in the range of motion where you have significant tension because of that descending resistance curve that happens in a dumbbell press, right? You come up and there's not a whole lot going on right up here. But if you can add a little bit of band tension, you don't have to get a super heavy band. If you can add a little bit of band tension in with the dumbbells and you will be shocked at the difference and that will make in the productivity of those particular exercises because then the pecs at least have something for the nervous system to sense, oh, I have resistance to contract against as I'm shortening. So that, I like those a lot as well. I pretty much have everybody I come through yoga squad eventually add bands onto those. And what's a really cool thing is after you've been doing them that way long enough, you won't, when you go back and you don't have bands, you, you will realize what a significant drop off uh, it is to change back to not having that resistance to contract against as, as the pec shorten. Uh, and then the other one is just various uh, cable flies. Um, I don't, again, I don't like using dumbbell. You're just overloading in that length and position totally. The only one I kind of do like there is I have, a, um, it's like, a, I call it like a fold in where you emphasize the centric on an incline. Uh, and then you actually just fold the dumbbells in and do the press part with that highly adductive position of the humerus there. So I still do like those, but uh, that's pretty much how I structure. I think structuring ch chest training, pec training uh, is probably the easiest um, of all of those because of, I, you, you, you still got to focus on that real, that main functional component of the pecs and that's simply bringing the arm across the body. So if you don't have that going on, you're probably using some type of suboptimal movement in your pec training. Go ahead, Jay. I was just going to say, you know, that was my struggle. Um, my delts, my tries, um, everything took over when I did a lot of chest presses, barbell, incline. But when I was young in the sport, everyone told me, oh, you want your chest bigger. That's what you got to do. Once I started using more machines, uh, everything kind of developed for me. I was able to take my delts out of it. Um, so, you know, do you uh, still think that there's a spot for like flat bench, incline bench? Or when you program people, do you leave it out altogether? I leave it out altogether. Um, yeah, I do too a lot. Yeah, I leave it out altogether. I think both. Um, and also one thing a lot of people don't understand is depending on uh, somebody's particular sternal, uh, the way their, 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 their clavicle and sternum is actually like their anatomy there. Um, an incline barbell press, you might not even be able to get in a specific position to load those fibers effectively at all. At all. Okay. So and when it comes to... You got to remember this. The other things that we're looking at is that the vector, which is your humerus, it has to be lined up with the orientation of specific fibers in the chest in order to load those correctly. So even if you're doing an incline press, if you don't have the right degree of 
of um, adduction or abduction that that lines up with the orientation of say those clavicular fibers, then you can end up loading the sternal fibers more. And there's some pretty small um, nuances that happen within that particular range. So I pretty much the pecs especially not only um, is there do you need to be able to use more of that adductive position but there's an arcing motion that happens anytime that you're pressing. For example, if you're loading the clavicular fibers, you don't press, uh, it's just a straight line. It's an arcing motion that comes this way, right? And then if you're pressing the sternal, then you're actually coming in a similar arc, but you just don't come up towards the clavicle. Um, and the same thing for the costal pecs, the lower pecs, is that the arm has to come down. And because those costal fibers, they, they attach down there, they insert on the ribs, they don't actually do, they don't actually bring the arm across the body. So, um, and they also bring from more behind where you have a little bit more of, of a shoulder extension position and then you're bringing the arm in the same arcing motion but down to the floor. So you're using really different arcing motions to work and load different, um, uh, different divisions of the pecs. And it, so they pretty much a barbell is almost the bottom line, this is the most suboptimal <laughs> thing that I can use if I want to train pecs in an effective manner. Yeah. What's your take on the hex press for chest? Uh, the hex press you're talking about. So you're talking about holding the dumbbells together. So the reason why that those feel good, this should make sense to you guys. The reason why those feel good to a lot of people is not for the reason they think. The mm -hmm. reason is because you're closer to that adductive position that you should be in if you're pressing correctly. <clears throat> you're Got like it. this, right? So you're already, yeah. so if you literally just rotate a little bit right like right there so you're pretty close so it feels better to a lot of people but not for the reason they think because there's nothing truly isometrically going on with those dumbbells right because the resistance is just coming straight down like just pressing the dumbbells together real hard you could do that with five pound dumbbells and however whatever you contraction you can get isometrically the dumbbells make no difference mm -hmm. But what the reason why those feel better to a lot of people is because you're close to that proper position of getting the pecs to use the, the ribs rib cage for leverage to work around. So for a lot of people, um, they end up using that hex press and um, they'll be like, oh, those feel really good. And I feel this or whatever in my chest. And the part that's not clicking for them is because they're actually closer to that more optimal humoral position. Yeah. Yeah. That that's what clicked for me finally. And I think I used to press in my early years, more like Ryan's arms were um, in that video. But he did kind of at one point, right, early on, because we all kind of watched a lot of guys press that way. And I think yeah. Arnold probably pressed that way. And then people would be like, well, Arnold had a big ass chest. Yeah. But Arnold also did 9,000 chest exercises <laughs> you know, for like 18 sets each. And anytime you do that much volume and that many exercises, something's going to get stimulated. Yeah. yeah, I'm sitting here like, I think I still press like that to that. To this day, I better probably change that. <laughs> Once I brought my elbows down more, and and I said that text press kind of trained me, and and I had to start all over. Like I had to start all over with chest training and start yeah. light, and just you know make my pecs only the thing at fire. My delts would always take over, always. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you guys have ever thought about it, but if you've ever gotten sore, kind of like through there when you've been doing chest, like you get that, and you're like, man, why does it feel sore throughout there? That's usually when you've been in that position and that coracobrachialis gets lengthened and then shortened as you press. And that's what you're actually training there instead of chest. So a lot of guys, they'll be like, why did I get sore in my bicep? I'm like, that's not your bicep, dude. 
That's a muscle that sits underneath it. Yeah. I was gonna say, uh, Jeff, the, the exercise that I've liked for chest would be um, slight incline uh, dumbbell press, flat hex dumbbell press, and heavy cable flies or, uh, or uh, pec deck flies. You know, a lot of people think of pec deck flies as like a finisher, so they just go higher up, but you know, I like going heavy on those and, and that's helped me a lot. Beautiful. Now I wanna ask, since I think we've covered chest, that's probably the best conversation I've ever had on chest of actually understanding like the real science of it, um, other than trying to look real bro in a gym over the years. Uh, <laughs> want to go to back and I want to talk about lat width and then we'll go mid back thickness and then we'll go into erectors. Cause I feel like that's a proper way to break it down. Um, what's your take on those who want to create their lat width? You know, they're always saying just row, 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 ching, 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 chin. And I wanted to get your take since you are like, uh, I mean, that shit on chest just blew my mind. So I'm interested to hear this one. Um, so I would, I would venture to say that probably the greatest majority of guys who post back stuff have no, they just, they're just repeating a lot of stuff they've read from other guys when it comes to back stuff. Even yesterday, I read a really dumb comment from a guy who has a PhD that a lot of people think is a smart dude, has no fucking clue about a functional anatomy or biomechanics. And that was lesser trained with vertical motions. And I laughed and I laughed and I laughed and then I laughed some more. And then I went on about my day. Um, you can train lats with a row or you can train lats in, from a vertical position. It all depends on what division of the fibers that it is that you're actually trying to load. Um, the main thing is that a lot of people don't get is that the lats are trained. It, basically, they, they're going to train shoulder extension, right? But again, that's gonna, it's going to be a highly adductive position where they use the rib, the leverage of the rib cage to wrap around, and then they're going to pull the humerus down. So it's all about humeral depression. And um, anytime the arm moves away from the body. So one of the things that drives me crazy, it's like nails on a chalkboard when I see people doing rows and you see them do this pronation. And then they think that's lengthening the lats more, but I can literally like show you and watch right there. What happens is you see that sh my shoulder raise, right? Mm -hmm. That's, scapular upwards rotation and elevation. So whenever I have to go back into the concentric portion, if there's something that's got to pull the scapula back down into rotation and into depression, then it's going to be muscles that are attached to the scapula that's doing that. So that's not lats. That's going to be something in the upper back, right? So you have to work, when you're working lats, you're going to be working from this position. You're going to work working from this position or this position right here. And it's going to always be with the arm in this particular position in front of the body. There's no other way to mechanically load the lats, like doing like chin-ups like that. It's an upper back exercise. When you're doing rows, like a traditional barbell row or whatever, those are upper back exercises. People will say, you're saying the lats do nothing. No, I didn't say the lats do nothing. When you're doing a normal chin-up or you're doing a, a traditional pull down, those are upper back exercises. The lats work in that particular, those particular positions to stabilize the humerus, right? So they stabilize the humerus as you're pulling, but then the upper back, and you can look at this when you watch these positions, you can watch that anytime I said, if you have scapular upward rotation and something's got to bring it down into downward rotation, and then you, you're going to have some upward rotation, some protraction, uh, and then you're going to have retraction, downward rotation. Those are going to be the muscles of the upper back. So when you talk about working lats, they insert around the spine, right? And they run up and they, or they originate on the spine run up and they start on to the arm. So they're mainly responsible for shoulder extension that is, uh, that occurs via humeral depression. 
So they have to bring the arm straight down. Anything outside of that where you have a different arm path that's a that's abducted from the body, that's outside of the body, that's going to be something on the upper back. That makes 100% the yep. sense the way you just said that. That was a great way of saying Because I'll watch people in my gym do like pull downs. They're going to like their throat. I'm like, that's not, no, you're not even going to get your lats that way. Like you can just see it through their shirt the way it's like miss, <laughs> like it's not even close to being lat. There's a, what's crazy is, is when I go do uh, workshops and stuff, when I actually am teaching people how to work lats properly, or a, a lot of times for the first time ever, is because they've created a lot of really poor neural pathways mm-hmm. yeah. that they'll be like, uh, and I do this at all of them. It's a pretty fun little, I say a joke, but it's like a trick. So I'll get somebody on the machine and I'll, I'll have them do the lat motion properly. You know, brace your abs, keep neutral spine, drive the arm down, don't pull past the body because the lats do pull the arm behind the body either. And I've had people argue like, how do they not pull the arm behind the body? I'm like, how would they? If they originate on the spine and they go up attached to the humerus, how would they pull like the scapula? The shoulder has to move into extension. How would they do that? They don't do that. So I will have guys do proper lat movements and they'll say, I don't feel that in my lats. The reason they don't feel that in their lats because they've never felt their lats with a significant amount of real tension on them. Not like that. So I will have somebody come around while they're doing a proper lat movement and actually put their hand on their lats. And then they will feel that the lats are fully shortened. Then I'll say, they'll say, I, I say, show me how to do, do lats where you get a really strong contraction in your lats. And they'll do that. And I'll have that same person come over and have them put their hands back on their lats. And then I say, are they fully shortened? They'll be like, no, they're not contracted at all. And that will blow their mind because they're like, I have been thinking I'm feeling my lats, which is another thing. Muscle mind muscle connection is such a giant pile of horseshit too that they'll say, I think I've been feeling my last this whole time, but they've actually trained their brain, create this neurological connection to a sensation that they think is their last contracting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. All right. What about mid back then you covered upper back and lats really well. What about mid back? Cause I know that for me. Yeah, huh? I, have a question. I have a question for Paul. All right. Paul, what, what do you, what do you think about a hammer strength high row using figure eight straps? taking the hand out of it and that way you get that downward motion into the hand. I don't, I don't ever, here's the thing. I don't want to take the, um, the, the grip out of it in terms of not, um, not using it because that actually gives sensory, your grip gives sensory feedback to your nervous system about how much tension it needs to apply to the elbow and things like that in order to help stabilization. Mm-hmm. So when you do stuff like attach stuff to your wrist and you're pulling, cause you'll see people do that sometimes with laterals or you see them do it with like chest motions, you're short circuiting a certain amount of that, the, the feedback that you need from your nervous system for stability through the joints, because your hand, when you grab something, right? There's feedback there from your nervous system gets from shortening some muscles in your form that are basically cross your elbow as well. Right. And they say, okay, I need to stabilize that elbow joint, which is also going to in turn help tell me how much I need to stabilize the shoulder joint in order to perform these motions. So, but getting back to using like a a hammer high, that's it. I don't know which one you're talking about in particular, but for training lats, one of my favorite is to use a a neutral grip on that hammer high kneeling. But that's what you're talking about. That's one of my favorite ones for the for the lower, the iliac lats, the lowest fibers of the lats to pull down that way. And I guess that was another thing I didn't I didn't go over. I guess it was uh, 
I said it was Joe Bennett a while, made a thing a while back saying there's no really way to train in the low class, and that's just not fucking true. Um, I agree with you. Yeah, when you look at the latch, right, they fan up like this, right? But if you look at the individual sections of those fibers, so the iliac lats, they come up like at this angle, and then they have that fascia that comes down, right, and attaches to the iliac crest of the pelvis. So when you look at those fibers, they come up like this, and then your arm, when you're pulling from an upper motion like this, it aligns with those fibers the most appropriately to have what's going to have the most leverage. So then as you go up the lats, those fibers go from this way to more like this, right? And that's around the lumbar division. So when you're pulling with your arm more in front of you like this, and then down the lump, those lumbar fibers, that division and the lats that are closer related to the lumbar, that's going to have the greatest amount of leverage, right? Over that external load to pull the arm down. So then last, that thoracic division comes like right over like this. So that is going to have, when you're pulling your arm from lower to up, those fibers, if you think about that wrapping like this and pulling the humerus into this position, will have those. So that's the difference in your arm path and training those different, different divisions. As far as upper back goes, it's going to be the same things. Like how is the arm, how, what's the degree of adduction or abduction that you're working with. And then what is that arm path and coming behind the body? Because for example, like the, the hammer low to high row, really great trap movement, right? Really good for your traps. And you're, you're semi, you're, you're pretty adducted, but you're pulling from this angle down low, right through here, right? So you end up with a, a significant amount of retraction that's happening right there with the arms adducted to the body. That's actually one of my favorite mid trap exercises um, when you start looking at working, we covered post delts, right? So posterior delts, you're going to be looking at about a 45 degree angle of abduction from the body. That's what's going to line up with those fibers right there. And if you're talking about the other stuff, uh, Terry's major is most of your pull down stuff, especially as you get wider. And so, uh, what does that leave us with? Rhomboids. Uh, with rhomboids, because of the way they fan out like this, you're going to be looking at a rowing motion more like this. More like wide. Yeah, with a lot of what a lot of people think, because you're still gonna want the retraction component, but it's what a lot of people think of as that rear delt exercise. So as you'll see, there's tends to be a lot of overlap and upper back movements. Um, because all of those attach to the scapula at some point, they either originate there or they insert on it. So that really comes back to which one you're trying to hit the hardest is gonna have to do with the angle of your humerus to the body and then how the arm is coming behind the body. Which back muscle do you think creates the nicest amount of width and the fastest amount of time? I mean, I know, we all know we got to be well-developed, but Terrace Meyer, Terrace Major. Um, probably you know probably the, if, if you're just talking width, it'd be the Terrace Major, right? Okay. You, like the, sometimes call that the little lat, right? Because it's yeah. like the little lats right up there. Yeah. So probably the Terrace Major, which really great, if you want a really great uh, Terrace Major movement, is that um, sometimes you can't find it, but it's that really wide parallel grip, neutral grip handle that you can have like in gyms that's like this. Mag, is it the mag one or? Not the mag one, you, I think the mag one does have one, but that would be a good one, the really- The widest shit one of them. Really wide one, that's a really great Terry's major one if you wanna incorporate that one. I'd agree with you, I had one in Florida when I was traveling in Naples not long ago and I hit it that way and it was for that and I agree, I, it, it was just blown up. 
Yeah. hundred percent. I love, I love those, the mag handles and the prime handles for oh, the, money. I yeah, got them all in my gym. I got the wide mag, the closed mag, the middle mag, the rotate handles and all that. Those things are great for back. You're hundred percent. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you want to go with a really great Terry's, if you want to get that again, but getting back to that 3d look, make sure you're hitting, you know, your last property, of course, but then, um, hitting, getting the, the Terry's major significantly thick is going to give you kind of that overall, that's the look you end up seeing with those guys. Ronnie had that look, Dorian had that look where it's, you, you kind of see the back ripple in from the outside like that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Beautiful. All awesome. right. Last part about the back erectors. I guess I want to ask you what is rack dead's King or what? Um, I don't think rack are fucking good for just about anything to be honest. Um, I think they're a great ego exercise. If you want to overload your joints and not really work any of the tissue through a significant range of motion. I like um, it. I like it. So, um, and that pisses a lot of people off because there's a lot of old school that I had to get rid of my head into. But one of the things about good hypertrophy movements is that we want to take that tissue that we're loading through as significant of an active range of motion as possible. So when you start looking at rack dads, one of the things that makes me want to punch babies in the face about fucking mm -hmm. rack dads is that the majority of guys will load up these fucking two-inch rack dads and make a whole bunch of noise. And there's a couple of people I want to call out, but, I don't, I let it, but I'm not going to because they are friends. But I'm like, dude, just fucking stop. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's if you want to train, this is kind of how I view erectors. Uh, I feel like the, the erectors, you're still going to want to look at movements where the directors are doing their job of basically keeping you fucking upright and stabilizing the spine. Yeah. So if you're doing an RDL, you're still going to get some good erector work, right? They still have to stabilize the spine in those particular positions, but you're also using um, a really great um, glute exercise for training them in the length of position. So that comes back to that efficiency thing. So when I program, the other thing about uh, the erectors is that they're, they're one of the slowest muscle groups to recover from direct training uh, and I feel like consistently that this is just an anecdotal thing more than like, hey, there's some shit on pub net. But, um, when erectors get trained directly, I feel a more systemic effect of fatigue overall. And I think if you guys think about doing heavy deadlifts and shit like that, I think it's it. There's people who have um, postulated lots about what causes that. But I really think there's something to the effect of the fact that your erectors are right there on your spine and are required for stabilizing your spine more, you know, pretty much more significantly than a lot of the other back muscles. And when those get fatigued, I think because your motor neurons, right, they run up your spine. So I, that's just me like taking shots in the dark. I, but I, I don't, unless you have, I can't imagine if you're not doing, um, you're doing RDLs or a stiff leg deadlift, the erectors, I feel like get enough stimulation that they're probably gonna go appropriate. I agree with that hundred percent. All right. I got to ask, even though I'm not a fan of arm training, I think it's incredibly fucking boring, but um, what is the best triceps and bicep exercises that one could do to build these arms? I know that Jeff cares a lot. I don't really care about arm training, but my arms are weak as fuck. So I'm listening up here. <laughs> <laughs> so um, there's, I don't get too crazy thinking about um, a lot of the long head, short head bicep stuff. This is how I approach tricep training. I'll keep it real simple. Anytime you do, you have elbow flexion happening, that the lateral and medial head are going to be worked. So the only thing you need to really focus on is lengthening and shortening the long head. And as long as you are not internally rotated, so because the long head actually is the only one of the three triceps heads 
that attaches that crosses the shoulder goes up and attaches to the scapula, right? So if you're internally rotated, that long head can get wrapped around, right? And you don't, anytime that you are getting shoulder movement, that long head, it plays a part in shoulder stabilization, just like the bicep does, right? So if the shoulder is moving and the tricep is attached to the scapula, then it's like, okay, I'm having to play a part and help stabilize this joint. What you'd rather have is to be moving in a position, and that's why I like the crossbody tricep extensions that come more like out, like, uh, like this right here, where you're coming this way, right? Because yeah. when you get internally rotated like this, a lot of guys do push downs like this, right? The, then the long head comes back and wraps around here. But if I can free it out and I'm going here, then I'm allowing other muscles to stabilize that shoulder joint while the long head can just produce output. Uh, the same thing for like an overhead cable. I like an overhead tricep extension where you're working out of the scapula plane. It, lo it looks like I'm, I'm, I'm like really far back here, but I'm not. But you guys can actually try this. If you, a lot of people tell you to be like tucked in like this on your overhead tricep work. But if you externally rotate, you're going to feel, you'll feel that drop. You feel that drop happen just a little degrees out. Right there is where you're going to want to do your tricep work to lengthen that long head. So if you're internally rotated and you externally rotate, you'll feel that drop. So that's working the scapula plane where the scapula has the greatest amount of rotational ability, right? And where you're gonna get the greatest amount of stability because of that, but the tricep long head is also not getting wrapped around and can be freed up to produce output against that external load there because it's not having work to stabilize either. Yeah, that, yeah. that makes sense. Now, what about biceps? I hate Sue it. loves 21s. Fucking hate. I do like cell swelling. I do like a hundred reps per arm with like tens at the end of a back workout right now. And I have an arm day. Um, I, here's the thing. Here's, here's the training short, short head yeah. or with an intern with internal rotation, like in a concentration curl. And then here's training the long head. So if you're doing like a, if you're doing something with shoulder flexion, you're going to be training the short head. If you're doing something with shoulder extension, you're going to be training the long head. So if you're doing, like an overhead curl. So the same position we were just in for triceps, right? Right there, just turn your arm around and do that for biceps. It's the same yeah. position. And that's your short head. And if you want to train the long head, it's like a face away cable curl or an incline dumbbell curl. Yeah. You know, you know one, one bicep exercise I really like is you take a rope and you attach it to like the lat pull down, you step back and you curl like that behind your head. Right. I like and hammer curls are really good. Hammer curls, I think, are very underrated, but they definitely give a lot of, uh, you know, width to the bicep, especially, you know, looking straight at somebody. Right, because if you train the, if you get the, the brachialis thick, mm -hmm. yeah. do a little bit of that pushing out between the triceps and the bicep too. Right. Yeah, so people don't have a thick looking arm from the side, uh, thickening up that break, thickening a lot of brachialis work can, can often fix that. Um, all right. Well, I think we both all agree that kind of arms are meh. And I think if you've been doing it for 10 plus years, it gets meh. I hate training biceps. Biceps are the most boring shit to me. Like, it's like abs. The worst thing you can do in the gym is fucking abs. <laughs> and then after that, I have a thing in the Oaks Hotel. They already know it now. I said, I would rather masturbate with a cheese grater than do any abs. <laughs> any time. And then after that, it would have to be, I don't know, calves are up there. Calves are, I have gigantic calves though. And like I spent like 20 years building them. Like my, and people literally stop and ask me if I have calf implants all the time. So um, uh, I, but I don't train them now. So, um, but training biceps would be, so it'd be like 
abs, calves, biceps. I absolutely hate training biceps. So it's yeah. really when somebody enjoys training biceps, I'm like, why? I, I agree. I, I agree there hundred percent. Now we got the final three big daddies that you talk about a lot on social media. Cause we've coasted through a lot of shit. Yeah. Best exercise for quads. And then you got to give Sue advice so he could stand up against Austin stout in full glory in 2022, <laughs> turn around and face that fucking rear curtain. And play <laughs> such an ass in pair of glutes that even Austin's wife, Jerrica cries. Just so for quads, I mean, there's only one position you can, the only one movie you can use to train them in the short position. That's like, just, Right, I think anybody's serious about growing quads got to do some leg extensions, trim in the short position. Um, outside of that, I it's you know, you got a pendulum squat, um, you're gonna have a hack squat and a quad dominant leg press, and that's really gonna be your three big movements. Um, if you have a pendulum squat, if you have access and lucky enough to have that, you're not really gonna find a better movement, it's got better bracing, better stability, it's gonna allow you to get that maximal amount of knee flexion going to overload them in that length of position at the bottom. And it's got a good resistance profile. So after that, a hack squat's going to be next best because you can do some banding on it, whether you're doing reverse banding or you're banding from both ways or whatever it is that you want to do. And then last um, would be a quad dominant um, leg press. We're using a low foot position and maximizing knee flexion. So if you guys notice, I don't put squats on there. I think a barbell squat um, is, is pretty much last to those movements in terms of really blasting the quads. And I, like I said, that's why the, those idiots from my pump, they get mad because I'm like, but you guys don't know jack shit about hypertrophy training and Jack left town. So um, uh, to me, the only squat really like that, a safety bar squat with hill, el hills elevated is a decent, pretty good option. The reason why a safety bar is because it distributes the load across a wider area in your back, which means you're going to have a little bit better stability right to work from. But an actual high bar barbell squat, low bar barbell squats are fucking dog shit. But a high bar squat, uh, but, a, but a safety bar squat with, with heels elevated can be a pretty good option. But outside of that, if we're just talking about really smashing the fucking quads, we're talking a pendulum, a, a hack, and a quad dominant leg press. What do you think about taking the bands and setting up reverse banded hack squat? Because yeah. I know since I started doing that, that's been just great for my knees and I'm able to get more into my quads than in my spine. That's probably, since I don't have access to a pendulum, reverse banded hacks is, is probably my favorite. Um, I like to, to use the appropriate amount of band tension so that it's not too much deload at the bottom that I'm getting kind of a nice, even resistance profile curve through the most of the movement. And I really like those a lot. For years until I fat, really figured out reverse banding hack squats, I hated hacks because most hacks are built in ways that it was the only movement that ever hurt my knees. Because you get to the bottom, right? And that, that resistance profile is so significant. Mm -hmm of uh descending it's like so it's so heavy at the bottom and i hit the bottom like oh my god like it's like it felt horrible on my knees but once you reverse band the hack squat uh you'll be like it's it's like opening up a whole new quad training world right um and my and i taught my girlfriend that too she hated hacks for the same reason she's like the only movement ever hurt my knees but then after i showed her the reverse banding she's like wow these are great so reverse bands i i love and you can also do you can do double band where you reverse band and you put band tension going. So that way what happens is you deload a bit at the bottom, but then as you're going into the concentric, when the pull, it'll pull on those bands. So you don't end up in a stacked position where your joints, we have no resistance at all. It's pretty brutal. Oh, I'll have to try that. I got a cool axle. I got the body master you one. Can, you can throw that one in there, my dude. Oh, uh, there you go, bud. Uh, oh, I want to, I want to mention here that, uh, you know, with the hack squat, that has been my favorite movement, like for quad building, like 
since like forever. And, and I love the Cybex one particularly. Cybex is honestly my favorite gym equipment. Um, I think they, they know um, uh, functional anatomy and resistance profiles better than any fucking company out there as far as I'm concerned. Outside of like Prime, because it's like Prime and Cybex, those guys crush. Yeah. Paul, how many plates per side can you do on the Cybex hack squat? I don't think Paul gives shit. If you're talking, you mean the squat press or the hack squat? The hack squat. How many plates per side can you do on it? For uh, like 10 reps. I don't know. On the on the, on the the Cybex one, that one, if yeah. I reverse, I don't know if I reverse man it. I think it's like six plates. Damn. All right. I think Paul- it's six plates. The When we were in, we were at the one and um, I did eight plates for, I think, uh, reps when we were at um, Hidden Gym in Texas. And the only guy that beat me was Steve Cookwell. All right. I've gone up to four and a quarter on that without a band for like 12. So yeah. That, that, I would say if you don't reverse that, if you don't reverse band that one though, that one's heavy as shit at the bottom. It is very heavy. Really uh, heavy at the bottom. I, I wrap my knees and luckily like I don't have any issues, um, but I'll try it reverse banded. A lot of people have suggested that I do that. So. 100% dude. I'm telling you what, after you do that, you're going to be like, what the fuck have I been doing? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's so much better. It's so much better. It was game changer for my spine to be able to do it and be able to get to my vastus lateralis. And where do you where do you hook the band up? Like to the, the top. The top bar on it. So like I on mine, I put the bands, hook them around the shoulder pads. Okay. And then pull them. And some people do them. They go out on the where you actually load the plates and then they'll hook them around. Okay. But you'll figure it out once you kind of get around the machine. Right. Because we're talking reverse. So I mean we're taking it's got to go upward. I, I just didn't know yeah. how to lock it in. We're doing the reverse bands that you attach them and then that they, so when you get to the bottom, they're long. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The bands are actually helping you out of the hole. Yeah. 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 When you come down, Jason, a few weeks, I'll show you on the hack. Yeah. Is I mean, it, I think you've done it before. Like, I'm just trying to think of the one in my gym, but yeah. It's, it's like changing. Hack squat more, me or you? Probably. Sue, you just went on hack squat. We'll just what was this? Back. What was this question? Never I don't know. I still remember how was it directed at me. I don't know. Never mind. Um, okay. <laughs> now, Paul, um, yeah. I want to make sure that that Sue is weaponized for destruction for next okay. year. Um, yeah. Hamstrings yeah. and glutes. Uh. What's your take? So this is I know you've been posting a lot about glutes lately, but I know that you've posted about hamstrings and you've been making this argument about them like very tied together and, and different. And you've gone through these different spectrums on stuff. You've so when, I mean, when you, the people try to get way too fancy, what do your hamstrings do? They, they do knee flexion and they help with hip extension. So at the end of the day, when people consistently try to find their, you know, a whole bunch of novel exercises, the, the, here's the best thing I can say for you to do is to use, make sure you use a seated, uh, leg curl, right? So that way, that's the only way to actually basically bias both hamstring muscles in the short position because the long head is the only one that crosses the hip. So when you're actually laying down, you the long head doesn't fully shorten, right? You have to have some hip flexion going on. So when you're seated like that, lean forwards and that will lengthen that long head and then you can shorten it with the leg curl. So that's the only way to hit. So use a seated leg curl rather than a lying leg curl. And the other one, is basically just using straight-legged um, deadlifts. So to train in the length of position. Do you believe in like raising your toes to be able to allow more flexion? Because I've seen that people standing on plates and all sorts of shit. So like a lot of this is the thought process is that if you're doing like to say a lying leg curl, 
and you do plantar flexion where you point your, your, your feet right down. And they'll say that that takes the calves out because then the calves shorten. Uh, and now you're, you're getting more tension on the hamstring. I don't, I don't agree with that. I think actually what happens there, because if you go back into, if you go back into dorsiflexion, right? So you let's pretend your feet are down like this. You're, you're, you know, this, your legs are coming this way and you go into plantar flexion and you're doing leg curls. You, you can't use as much weight, right? When people say, well, that's because you're taking the calves out of it and you're putting all the tension on the hamstrings. What happens as soon as you go back into dorsiflexion, you can use more weight, right? Correct. Okay, but why is that? I honestly have no clue other than it just feels like I'm stronger in that position, so it just happens. What is your strongest knee flexor in the first 15 degrees of knee flexion? Huh. It's your gastroc. Oh, your calf, huh? Calves. Okay. okay. So the other thing is your calves stabilize your knee. Yeah. One of the things that we talked about already a lot is the, the more stability I have in a joint, the more output I can get from that muscle that I'm working with. It's also attached to that joint. So the more stable my knee is, right, the more output I'm going to be able to get from my hamstrings. So this idea that I'm going to go into plantar flexion, I'm going to have the load drop off, and that I'm just hitting my, uh, my hamstring. This is what I would actually make the argument that this is what's happening. You're using less loading because you're working on a less stable joint because the calves, you take away their ability to create kinetic energy to help stabilize the knee. Because once you go into plantar flexion, they shorten, they can't offer any kinetic energy to help stabilize the knee. Once you go back into dorsiflexion, they lengthen. And then when you do that first 15 degrees of knee flexion, it's your calves that are doing that work. So they're like, I got the knee, I'm stabilizing the knee, and then the hamstrings to finish up the movement. Wow. Now, now, Paul, I have a question on the stiff leg deadlift in terms of flexibility. Are you, are you okay, Jeff? <laughs> no, my computer just like threw something up at me. I was like, ah. So okay. You guys go with that. Jeff's got a question for you. Though. Yeah, yeah, Paul, in terms of <laughs> who have horrible flexibility in the stiff leg deadlift or feel it more in their erectors, uh, how would you advise somebody to, to proceed to modify that exercise to feel it more or how, how low they should go in terms of depth? I've heard a lot of different things here. So I'm curious what you think. So if you're, this was what happens a lot of times is that remember that in a Romanian deadlift or a stiff leg deadlift, the only thing that you're changing between those movement patterns is the degree of knee flexion that you have in each one. So when you do a Romanian, you're going to bias the glutes a little more than the hamstrings, right? And the reason why that is is because you use a soft knee that disadvantages the hamstrings in that particular movement. Mm -hmm. So what occurs more often, I just posted about this yesterday, when people do extended ranges of motion in a Romanian, right? Once you have the maximum amount of hip flexion that you can get, the glutes are fully loaded. Going down any further means you have to bend at the waist, right? Right. So once I initiate back into the concentric, what pull is what is lifting that weight off the floor? My low back. back yeah. Okay. So that means I'm not hinging properly. When you get someone to hinge properly, what's going to get loaded are the hamstrings or, or the glutes, all depending on the degree of knee flexion. If you are feeling it in your lower back, then your hinge is fucked up. Yeah, that makes sense 100%. All right. All right. What about glutes? 
You've been on fire about that lately, and I know everyone's waiting to hear what the ass man has to say officially. So yeah. hit us with your best. I'm ass curious to take on like leg press hitting them because I can but, I can actually make the leg press really hit my glutes. Paul's thoughts on butt stuff is here where this ends. That's what we'll call the episode. <laughs> yeah, save it till last, right? Like the open or like the uh, the finishing act. Yeah. So yeah, for glue stuff, there's just so much bad information. And I think a huge reason for that is because um, when we talked about all the muscle groups, think about how quickly we've gotten through like a, a really optimal way to train those. And I don't think the glutes are really any different. So the glute max main function is going to be hip extension, right? And the way to maximize the, the whole body is a system of pulleys and levers. Okay. So when you look, people mistake exercises for all the wrong reasons. They look at exercises rather than looking at the mechanics of what's going on and glutes are no different. So we talked earlier about the pecs and lats both use the leverage of the rib cage, right? In order to get maximally loaded, right? So they're like, okay, what that's the, the lats use the rib cage like a fulcrum and, but the pecs do too. So what do the glutes use in, in a similar manner? They use the pelvis. So when you think about the glutes, the glute max, right? Coming back this way around your pelvis, right? This way. Whenever you get highly abducted and your legs start getting turned out like this, they lose that ability to use the pelvis as leverage to create force. So that's why stuff like sumo stuff and things where you have a high degree of external rotation, you actually take away the leverage the glutes have of the pelvis when you get in those positions. So when you're using a closer foot stance, think about it, guys. Theoretically, what they said was that we started standing upright and running, and that's how we started using glutes initially, right? Like that was the whole point. Like we stood up, we started running, and that's how we developed glutes. Well, have you ever fucking seen anybody run in a sumo stance? Hmm. You ever seen anybody run with their feet as wide as possible? Well, if you want to use your glutes, like one of the, the, the best, one of the best exercises you can use to train glutes is sprinting. Why? Because the glutes lengthen around, right? The lower aspect of the pelvis when you step out in front of yourself. And then when you're performing hip extension and the leg is coming behind you, right? The glutes shorten. All that happens around the pelvis. So if you want to train the glute max, right? You're going to use like a glute bridge, right? That's going to be like one of your go-tos or you're going to use a five degree degree glute raise. Um, those are going to be your go-tos for training your glute max in that short position. Now the glute media sits on the back of you like this. So here's your, your big butt muscles and the glute media sits down through here like this, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the orientation, remember we, we talked earlier about how you have to line up the vector with the orientation of those fibers. So that means that if you want to train the glute medius in the short position, that leg has got to come back to hip extension with this degree of abduction. And so the glute medius does have an abduction component, but it has to happen with the leg coming back. So that hip extension is occurring. Okay. So, that makes sense. So it's like a kickback where your leg's kind of coming this way. Yeah. Okay. No, that makes total sense. Right. So that's why people think that abduction, they'll say 2D anatomy says the glutes do abduction. Well, the glute medius does abduction, but it needs context. It doesn't do abduction when you're hip flexion. When you sit down and you bring your legs out to the side, the glutes don't do that. That's people fuck that up all the time. The glutes don't do that. You can literally go out to the Cybex website and they'll tell you for their seated abduction machine, 
That's working your piriformis. You literally just go to where they'll tell you it's not good. So when you do abduction, what plane of, of basically hip position are you training? If you're training hip flexion, it's the piriformis. If you're training hip extension, it's the glute medius. Yeah. No, I learned about the butt today. Yeah. And then the, if you want to, the other one is the other functional component of the glute medius is stabilization of the pelvis on one leg. So when you're doing a split squat or you're doing a lunge or whatever, and your pelvis is trying to rotate like this, then the glute medius is responsible for keeping that guy stable like this right here. So that's why if you ever do, if you ever done a lot of Bulgarian split squats or something like that, a lot of reps, the side of your ass right there is just on fire. That's your glute medius. It's stabilizing that pelvis. So if you want to grow a butt, a big butt, you're training the glute, the glute max in the length of position will be leg press with like a foot high, close and high position, or you'll use an RDL. Or you'll, you're trying to train the glute max in the short position, it'll be a glute bridge, it'll be a 45 degree glute raise. And if you're trying to train the glute medius in the short, it's going to be glute kickbacks in that, that abduction in the plane of hip extension. And then, or you're going to do split squats. No, that makes sense. Thank you for clarifying that because I've seen all the crazy ways that everyone does the abduction on social media, standing on the machine, fucking in, in the air, and every which way in between. So I'm just like, all right. I think I've had five women get pregnant in my Valkyrie. Um, <laughs> legitimately, in the last like four months, four women, five. I think I got five women that have all gotten pregnant. And their their husbands or boyfriends can't uh, keep their hands off of them because they finally grew like a big ass over the past four months. <laughs> all we do is RDLs, lunges, um, glute bridges, and some leg press. Like I, it's not complicated, hard shit. But you just got to get. At, you got to really get after it in terms of your effort intensity. I agree with you a hundred percent, dude. Is there anything else you'd like to say or round out that maybe we didn't cover? And if not, how can people get a hold of you? We really appreciate your time coming on. Like, you know, you've been around forever and you've just, you're just up there in the industry. And I felt like this was just a fucking great conversation about training. Is that your way of saying I'm older than like a dinosaur? I'm 40. We're all the gramps. Jason's the fucking oldest. So don't feel bad. No matter what, you, he's still gramps. So it's okay. Yeah. Um, I, well, usually you can find me on Lift, Run, Bang. But um, like I said, my account got deactivated. I am in the process of I'm probably going to like set up an actual real website where my blog was for all those years. But, but for right now, you can find me at Coach Paul Carter on Instagram. And that's where I'll be rebuilding everything. Um, and then if you actually want more in-depth stuff, uh, good programming. I have the Yoke Squad. I have the Valkyrie Project with all the ladies that have helped building glutes and, and hammies and all that kind of good stuff with. So that's uh, that's pretty much my focus right now. All right. Well, um, do you guys have anything else for Paul? I feel like that was badass, man. I mean, no, I think we gave a nice nice podcast there on training. I mean, yeah, know. no, I'm like sitting here building my workout program for this week now. After <laughs> I'm like, I'm fucking make some changes now. I'm like, damn it, Paul. All right. I think the uh, the only other one that you guys said when you were going to ask me about was like uh, like the whole battle between like uh, low volume high intensity training. Sure, yeah, uh, hit it. Like, well, what do you guys want to ask me about that? That's Sue's question. What did you want to know? Well, well, I I've, I found myself that as I've gotten older and when I train, you know, older clients, um, you know, they tend to do better assuming they have a good mind muscle connection and connect on that first rep um, with a, with less volume and more intensity, meaning like one or two exercises, you do like a ham wrap or a drop and you're done. You're not doing three to four chest movements or three to four back movements in a workout. Um, 
so that was my my question what do you think what do you think is better like where would it be applied um i mean if we're talking pure hypertrophy the the main driver and and i i beat this horse a lot because i really want people to understand this the main driver for hypertrophy is mechanical tension Mm -hmm. it's not volume I, I don't know how many times I've heard somebody say that volume is the driver of muscle growth. It is fucking not. Um, we, not only do we have anecdotal um, evidence that constantly shows this, but we actually have a, a, a quite, quite a few uh, peer-reviewed studies now that actually consistently show this as well. And the whole process of basically creating the need for a muscle to grow is there has to be enough stress that... Um, there has to be adaptation and remodeling to occur at the fiber level. So how does that happen? It happens through mechanical tension. People say, what is mechanical tension? Mechanical tension occurs when you're doing a set and you get close enough to failure or you go to failure. So that there's a high degree of cross bridging that happens between the actin and myosin filaments, okay? So that they'll end up attaching and it's the actin that pulls the myosin filaments across. So that's the cross bridging that happens across the force velocity curve. And what happens then is that on um, the actual, in the, on the muscle fibers, is that they have something called mechanoreceptors that detects that there's actual tension that's occurring on the fibers. When that happens, then the body kicks off something called mechanotransduction. And mechanotransduction is what will kick off mTOR. And mTOR is what actually kicks off muscle protein synthesis and P7K90 and all the the goodies that actually create muscle growth, okay? So without that occurring, there's no reason for the body to kick off mechanotransduction. If you don't have mechanotransduction happen, no muscle growth is going to occur. It doesn't matter how many sets you do. It doesn't matter how much volume you do. Any of that kind of stuff. That was actually shown in the Han study, and I think that was 2017 or 2018, I can't remember, where they did up to I was like 67 squats a week, 67 sets of squats a week, 10 reps per set, but they stayed very far away from failure. And so there's like four reps left in reserve. There was almost no muscle growth to show for that after six weeks. Really? Right. Volume does not fucking drive muscle growth. It doesn't. The fact that we still got ass clowns running around to this day, when there's plenty of research that will tell you, all the research at this point says, hey, look, you do not have enough mechanical tension and you do not accumulate enough effective reps that have a high degree of mechanical tension, uh, uh, mechanical tension associated with it, you will not have muscle growth happen. We know that. Like, that's not even a debate at this point. Mm. But then people will still try to make this argument that you need to have to do this all this volume. Volume serves a point you have to have an adequate amount of volume you have to use volume to a certain point right volume has an inverse u curve so it works to help drive muscle growth up to a point and anything after that is is basically you just being in the gym and training to get tired so we have seen that across pretty much all studies this the other thing is like this belief that if anybody tells me you know, I didn't start going until I started doing 20 sets for muscle group. I will tell them the same thing. Either you don't know how to train, you don't have good mechanics, um, or like a multitude of issues. I don't, or I, I, nobody could come train with me to do 20 sets. Nobody. I've trained with John Meadows. I've trained with a lot of, a lot of great guys. John and I would put people on a beat down. If you think you're going to come do 20 sets with me and John do 20 sets, you, you'll get, you'll get wrapped up. So, 
Um, we we only we count. We never counted the warm ups. We did this. You got to our John's YouTube. Um, we would talk about watch the sets we do. So like a, a hard quad day that kept both of us limping around for four days was five sets, five total sets. We didn't. We don't count the warm ups. Just the work you do. Just the working sets you go at. Yeah. It was like five sets. I, I've trained with John a few times. The one time he brought me to train with Dave Tate and him, and that was an experience. So <laughs> John is after it, man. He's a worker, dude. We love to get together because we uh, we punish each other pretty hard. Yeah, no, John, John's great. He's been on here before. He's friends with us. He definitely loves Sue because Sue asked him one time about eating a protein bar three weeks out from the show. And <laughs> it was a very interesting experience that happened with all of us. We've never let Sue live it down. Um, still remember it, Sue, four years later, bro. Going on four years. Hey, do we have time for one last quick question for Paul? One if Paul's got time, we do. All right, Paul, um, what advice would you give to a general population 45 45- year old female who has no intentions of being a bodybuilder, but wants to change your body as quickly as possible. But they just go through the motions in the gym. You, you write a program that says eight reps. They're like, they're like this eight reps, right? What advice would you give to them to find that, that last gear and actually train hard and create that tension? What would you say? So if you're trying to set that up, so basically I think what it is, you have a client who wants results and talks about, the results that she wants, but doesn't understand that she needs to work harder than she's working more or less. Yeah. So, I mean, if you, if you've explained that to her, that you're just not working hard enough, I'm, I'm fairly blunt, open, honest with people. You look, you're just not training hard enough to get the results that you want. Then in my opinion, then what you do is you start setting up, um, just say, look, you just have to go until you can't do another rep. Just go until you can't do another rep. So if it's a client you're working with in person, how I do that is I just set the loading for them. I don't, I'll let them pick it. And I go, you'll stop. And I say, you'll stop. Ah. My, my girlfriend's out of the room. So I trained with this last year when I was dating. She wouldn't even care. But um, um, I trained with this, with this girl who's an acting pro bikini. Um, you would be surprised at how soft some people train that even get their pro cards. Um, I trained with her. She was well-developed. But she, I don't know if she'd ever gone to true failure either because we did shoulders together and she would cut out just as the set was starting to do what I would think is getting hard. Mm-hmm. Like, just yeah. when you started to get to those money reps, she would cut the set. I'm like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And she, she was like, and I would make her go to failure. She'd never trained that way. So my current girlfriend too, like she trained like that now. She loved it. So, but you'd be surprised. John and I talk about that all the time. I think the number one missing ingredient um, and people who are getting the results they want is that they simply don't fucking train very hard or don't train as hard as they oh, can. I agree. hundred percent. I agree. I think you'll see that happen with people who are prepping and stuff. They back off their training. They just, it gets real lazy. Prep is okay. Especially in the last few weeks. If anything, I think uh, people have the mentality of going all the way through prep, do too much dumb stuff. Um, oh, I agree there. Yeah. Like the last few weeks of prep, man, everything that you've done, you know, going in and getting your workouts and I think leaking a few reps at the tank um, and just surviving those last couple of weeks, <laughs> how that is. But I think the majority of people who aren't seeing muscle growth when they're, they're either in a slight surplus or they're, they're like, I haven't seen the results I wanted. I think it always, almost always comes back to, they just don't train very hard. And I've seen that with people in person. When I've gotten around people and that, you know, that I've worked with and I finally get in person with them, a chance to work with them in person, I'm just like, man, you're leaving so many reps on the tank. It's crazy. So and then once you finally get them to training really hard, 
um, they, the progress they see, the people I've had in the yoga squad for the last 10 months, I've got guys that have been training for 10, 12, 15 years, but the way I have the training set up, um, you can't avoid getting to failure to meet certain intensity requirements needed for the set. And they're like, their bodies have responded. They're like, I have, like, I've got guys that have gained six, eight, 10, 12 pounds of muscle in the last 10 months that have, that are experienced trainers, but they just haven't trained this way. So once you finally, when you stop, and I don't want to be turning to CT, CT Fletcher, but when, yeah. when you, when you're, you're, you, your body, when you're like, you give it no other option than to grow because the stimulus is that high, then you realize, wow, man, I've been spending a lot of years doing really unproductive shit. Yeah, no, I agree with you hundred percent. Dude, thank you so much for your time. That was a beautiful 90 minutes together. I really enjoyed that, man. I, I know that that was very in-depth, so thank you. Do you mind if we hit you up to have you on in the future for future stuff? Absolutely, man, anytime. Dude, well, thank you, man, so much. And guys, thank you all for tuning in. And Paul, this should be out tomorrow, man. We'll tag you and everything and get it rolling. Thanks, man. I appreciate you guys. Right. You guys Thanks, all Paul. have yourself a good day, guys. Yeah. Right, guys. Yeah. Right, peace. Yeah. Bye.